Good morning, Stockholm Community Church. I am, I want to say, excited to be with you, but you can kind of hear in my tone, it's a different tone as I come into today's message. I know it's been like this, but just, it just seems like there's so much stuff just churning in this world. So much tension, frustration. Um, you know, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of it is because I'm like looking back at my home country, the U.S., and I'm seeing a, a natural disaster coming into the coast. I'm hearing of more race riots in cities where people that I love um, broke out this week. More, more pain, more destruction, more loss. And I know this is only reflected in other parts of the globe. And so wherever you find yourself today, now, if you're coming to this and you're all excited about church and I don't mean to like be a wet blanket, this is what I wish for everybody watching today. I wish you the peace and presence of God. If there's something that I could look to each and every person on this planet right now and just put a hand on their shoulder and say, hey, take a breath, experience the peace and the presence of God, and now let's relate to each other in that. So, so much going on in the world, and the reality is it's been going on for a while. And things just seem in the season to really be stirring and churning and, and I get to speak on Philippians 1 today. We're going to be going from, from, we're going to be going from Philippians 1, 19 to 30. So we are actually seeing the end of this chapter. And yes, I'm jumping back into two verses that we've spoken about. But this block really is, it's, it's a steak meal. It's like it's a mean potatoes. It's a whole meal, not just hors d'oeuvres of hitting little verses. I wanted to hit this chunk as one. And... Just with what we're going to talk about today, I would like to open this message in prayer. Jesus, we need you. We need you to open our minds and our hearts to your word. We need you to open our hearts and our minds so that we can step into the story with Paul. We can feel the weight of the words. We can feel the courage and the hope as he, as he sends this letter to the Philippians. God, we are asking that today you just create a bookmark in our lives of what you hope us to be in your kingdom. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start out at verse 19, and it says this, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For I know to me to live is, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that last Verse verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain is 
is very popular. You've probably seen it on, on different plaques or maybe you've heard somebody preach on it before. But 19 gets us to 21. And Paul states at the start of verse uh, 19, for I know. It's not, it's not, I kind of have this little structure in my head, like faith is, is, you know, the evidence of things unseen, you know, like believing in what we can't see it. So there's faith, there's belief, whereas the mixture of, of faith and some experience, like, no, I believe this is going to happen because, because there are little like hints and clues and it's happened once before. And like, this is where, and then there's, I know I, I had faith, you know, the, the, the hope in the unseen. I believe like I have a strong suspicion. Like I've seen some of these things come together and everything's leading this way. And I really believe. And then there's Paul stating for, I know this is going to happen. Why is it going to happen? I know I've seen this play out too many times before. This is what's going for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit. And Paul is single-minded in his actions and beliefs because he is single-sourced and utter reliant, reliant on that one source, Jesus Christ. So Paul says, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus. The second, for me, the Spirit of Jesus, is easier to explain than the first through your prayers. The definition of the Holy Spirit that I've come across that is like most handy, like you just get your hands on it and take it everywhere. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus without the limitations of the flesh, without the limitations of being in one body. So if I could take it one step further, the conversations Jesus had with his disciples are the conversations the Holy Spirit wants to have with you. He wants to explain the scripture. He wants to correct he wants to encourage. He wants to lead you to a greater relationship in Jesus Christ to the Father. And he wants you to become all that you can be in Christ. He wants you to walk on water. He wants you to raise the dead. He wants you to give your all. But, but Paul first states through your prayers. And, and I'll be honest, I took some time this week to think through this phrase. I I've been a believer since 1998. That's some 31 years of being prayed for and praying, of prayer meetings and prayer services and personal prayer times and praying to tuck daughters in beds and reaching over in Carolyn's hand and praying. So we're talking like, not being arrogant, but I know prayer, like prayer's not hard for me. Prayer's not natural, but it's it's learned, and I learned it, and I, I know how to pray, and I'm not afraid to pray, but then to explain it forward, what is prayer through your prayers? The smallest explanation of prayer is a conversation with God, but, but Paul's conversations are not casual, nor are they comfortable. They are unceasing, demanding, straining, exerting, exhausting, miraculous effective, life-altering, and life-sacrificing. And so, thinking of you today, how can I explain prayer? And I'm not, I'm going to give you the definition. I'm going to limit myself. I'm not giving the 360 around it, like trying to explain every application. 
but prayer. Prayer is connecting to God and God's unlimited resources for that specific person, cause, or need as it relates to God's purpose and plan. First, it's, it is. It's connecting with God and in that, God's unlimited resources for that specific person, cause, or need as it relates to God's purpose and plan. Now, that person may be you. God, I need you. And so you are connecting because you need God's unlimited resources. Uh, maybe praying for health. It may be praying for spiritual movement. It may be praying for a country or a city, what have you. But it's connecting. Now, I will say this. A prayer's effectiveness is greatly amplified by the sincerity of faith, the rightness of heart, and alignment with God's will. But there is no formula. And this I need to speak specifically because I know we can have the thinking in our head, well, if I just do more, God will answer this prayer. If I just give more, God will answer this prayer. If I just, if I'm nicer, if I don't do this, if I hold off, if I, you know, there are all these different things that we try to create conditions. There is no formula. The simplest understanding is there's only faith, submission, and relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. And that's the lens you need to look at it through. A perfect heavenly father. Now, as a dad with three daughters, all they do, they are not afraid to ask me for things. They are not afraid to tap my resources. Now, I, as a human father, I have to measure and manage my resources. A heavenly father does not. But in all of this, as I respond to my daughters, I am thinking of what am I trying to communicate to them in this season of their life? And what am I trying to move them towards? What am I trying to prepare or put in them? So your father, when we pray, his response may not always be yes, but it will always be in your best interest. It will always be through the lens of unconditional love and the desire of you becoming all that he has created you to be. While it may not always be the answer we are looking for from the heavenly father, it will always be the answer we need. And Paul is saying that through your prayers and through the spirit of Jesus Christ, and he's praying for deliverance. Now, as we come into this, I would argue that Paul is not seeking deliverance from his current chains because for some reason he tends to celebrate those. Hey guys, look at me, I'm in jail again for the gospel of Jesus Christ, not for just really bad driving. I believe Paul continues to seek the ultimate deliverance of his sins and his soul when he stands before Jesus Christ. Paul is so transparent, and, and we see when he shares in Romans 6 and 7, he has this whole, I do what I don't want to do, and what I don't want to do, I do. And he has this whole like ping pong match between himself of his negative or his flesh side and his spirit and his hopeful positive loves Jesus Christ. And they're like just playing this ping pong match of who's going to win. And finally, at the end of chapter seven, he says, but who can save me from this body of death? And this body of death looks an awful lot like him. He says, praise God only through Jesus Christ. And see, again, he shares in, in just humble vulnerability in Corinthians 2 of being blessed by a thorn in his side. He calls it a blessing because 
He says, if I didn't have the sword, I would become conceited. And while the language is physical, the messenger that sends this thorn is Satan. And so we see that it is spiritual. So this is a spiritual torment or perhaps a nagging temptation that keeps him dependent on the grace of Jesus Christ. And now we see in verse 21, for to, for to me to live is Christ. He continues, I'm only alive by Christ. I'm only alive by miracle after miracle, shipwrecks, beatings, snakes, um, cities attacking me, being stoned. I should be dead many times over. But Christ has me alive. <laughs> he says this, but to die is gain. Now I understand this because Paul is clearly saying, once, once I'm dead, this war is over. And he is fully given over to Jesus Christ, who he loves, and not having to fight temptation or his human weakness anymore. He is set free. No more having to worry about that nasty list of things that he is talking that Jesus has saved him through. So Paul shares in verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Like he is still literally in the midst of the decision. God, I'm ready to go. There's still work to do, but in my heart, I'm ready to go. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. I love you all. I'd much rather be with Christ. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So even his staying is not for his gain. It's for the gain of others. And we see in verse 26, Paul shifts from speaking to his condition to now speaking to the Philippian church as a father would speak to his son. So verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you are ever looking for one statement to guide your life in this world, consider these words. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you and that you are standing firm with one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Do you hear that single-mindedness? There is nothing else for Paul. It's all gospel. It is all Jesus. Nothing else has significance in his heart. And as a spiritual dad speaking to his spiritual kids in Philippians and the church of Philippi, he's saying, guys, this is what I want for you. Live a life worthy of Christ, be single-minded, and partner your single-mindedness and faith for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction 
but of your salvation and that from God. I'm reading through and preparing, and this is like the blessing of preaching. It, it really is because it forces you to slow down because I'm, I have to take responsibility for the words I'm going to share. And so, so there's a thought process and you think and you rethink and you go over and you study and you prepare and you plan. And, and as I was working through this scripture, the Holy Spirit, read it again. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but not of your salvation, but of your salvation and that from God. Okay, he's, he's writing this from prison. Yeah, read it again. Okay, and, and not frightened in anything by your salvation. There's a clear sign to them of their destruction, your salvation, and that from God. Okay, yeah, he's been beaten. He's been whipped. He's been all these different things. Read it again. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. What an interesting statement. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. So the struggle, the pain, the persecution that you're going through, hey, hey, again, Paul's just cut from a different cloth. But do you remember how we're introduced to Paul formally called Saul? We have to jump back to Acts 7, verse 54. And, and let me read it for you. <clears throat> this is at the, the, the murder, the martyrdom of Stephan, uh, the, the first martyr in the New Testament. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. Stephan speaking and declaring the gospel. Gazed in, <clears throat> sorry, starting again, verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. <clears throat> kind of a freak show moment. But he, Stephan, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They were physically refusing to hear the declaration of God through Stephen. So they're literally trying to drown out his voice with their yelling and their screaming. They're shoving fabric in their ears, covering their ears, and charging him so that he'll just be quiet. Because the scripture that they have learned since childhood is churning in them, and the, the truth is ready to just break free, but they're so trapped in religion that they don't want to let go of the comfort of religion. And he said, sorry, and then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul, who's seen all of this happen. And as they were stoning Stephan, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, his last words on earth, Lord do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. 
And those last three words, he fell asleep. I think that's such a pleasant way to say that he had his head bashed in by religious zealots. He fell asleep. Can you see Paul replaying this scene in his thoughts as he writes Philippians 1.28 and not frightened in anything by your opponents? This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that from God, not from man. This salvation comes from God. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Paul's witnessing everything he's ever wanted in his relationship with God reflected on the face of Stephan and the conflicting struggle of sensing the presence of God from the man being stoned to the other lack of God's spirit from the men that he is counted with, the men who are throwing their coats before Saul to watch. What an incredible conflict this creates. And you can now hear these words in Philippians. This destroys him. This moment, I believe, just absolutely wrecks him. This destroys all his arguments and it breaks his soul wide open. Yes, the momentum of his religious zeal and all that he's invested in his life continues to press forward. But like a hollowed out tree in a severe storm, Paul is completely defenseless when God asks him on the road to Damascus, Saul, why do you persecute me? Catch these words. God is not talking to a stranger. Paul knows who sustained Stephen and the immeasurable grace that Stephen demonstrated on that day. Paul knows God's word from childhood. The first words he learned were God's words, God's promises, and God's prophecies. And he can lie to himself no longer. God, Jesus asked Paul, then named Saul, why do you persecute who? Me. He has no resistance. And Paul surrenders. And now Paul, reflecting on the life of Stephen, says, that was the moment. That was the moment of salvation as rocks were crashing in on Stephen's human body. What an incredible moment that'll be in heaven when Stephen stands before Jesus Christ. What an awful moment that will be in heaven when the men who stoned him stand before Jesus Christ. And he can hear Stephen's words, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're destroying themselves. They just don't get it. They think it's religious. They think they're honoring you. They are so far off course. God, please forgive them. And Paul's saying it again. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, 
engaged in the same conflict that you saw, that you saw I had, and now I still have. You've seen me go through all this, and I'm writing to you from prison again. For it's been granted to you. You have been given the gift of suffering. Jesus was given this gift. He asked if it could pass, but he took it. And in that, he was crucified. Ten of the twelve disciples died as martyrs. Judas committed suicide. And there's a couple of stories that are floating around about how John passed away, but nobody knows for sure. Stephen, the Paul Witt, the one that Paul witnessed died as a martyr. And this is what Jesus' followers do. We die well. We don't die with fear. We die with hope. We die with courage. We die with joy. And now Paul writes from a prison cell, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Hey guys, you remember that night in the jail, in the earthquake, in the baptisms, in the eventual freedom? But the deliverance that Paul seeks is not from man-made chains. The deliverance that Paul seeks is that his soul will find the ultimate salvation when he stands before Jesus Christ and he's fully welcomed into the kingdom of God. He works for that day. He strains for that opportunity. He will not be led astray, nor will he be knocked off course. He would die before he would let that happen. When I came to faith in a youth group, the lead pastor of that church was Pastor Sam Mayo. Short, solid, Southern preacher, Pentecostal preacher, who passed just a, passed away just a few years back. And he would pass on old hymns and old spiritual poems and Pastor Mayo, who himself was cut from a different cloth, um, came to mind as I was was pulling this message together. I would hear him say over and over again in church hallways, either leaving a prayer time or on a way to a service, Brian, (laughs) he'd say, I can't do his Southern, his old Southern voice justice, but he would say, Brian, every soul through the fire must pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Amen, amen, amen. He would say that little phrase over and over again to the point where as I'm putting this message together, it just continued to echo. He lived his life that way. Not perfectly, but determinedly. He finished his war. His struggle is over. And for me, watching his life, it shaped me. It challenged me. It created a sharp, and a painful flint stone that at times I come up against it and sparks fly. I think, ouch, and and then I think, okay, what am I doing? And, And why am I doing it? And his life turns me back to Christ as Paul is speaking to the Philippians, turning them back saying, guys, this is the most excellent way. Pastor Mayo is now experiencing the gain of Christ's presence. And now the struggle, both personal and public, is simply an investment into the life he has now. And that is Philippians 1. But as as we come to a close, 
One, if you've never had the opportunity to ask Jesus Christ into your life and start a faith relationship with him, if you've never known forgiveness and freedom, um, it will cost you everything. But what you get in return is so much more. And if you want to do that, we want to pray for you. But SCC and believers, we're going to take a different twist as we pray. We're not going to pray for ourselves. Because if we're honest, many of us in first world countries, we have access to everything we need. We're going to pray, and I'm going to challenge you to pray through the worship song. We're going to pray for those in countries that are closed to the gospel. That to call on the name of Jesus Christ is to literally risk life, family, health, and home. That there are too many stories out there today of people losing everything for the sake of Christ. There are too many stories today that when a person turns to the family of God, they literally have to turn their back on their birth family, their birth town. And it shouldn't be like that. And many of us, that that doesn't make sense. Like there's no emotional connectivity to that concept of having to turn away from everything we know to follow Christ. But that is a significant reality for a significant portion of the population on this planet. So today, instead of praying for us, God, help me be more. Help me do this. Help me. We're just going to jump that. And we're going to pray, as Paul asked, for I know that through your prayers and through the, the, the leading, the presence, the gift, the spirit of Christ, that we will be set for my deliverance. So, we're not going to pray for ourselves today. I want you to, to pick a country that's closed to the gospel. I want you to pick maybe a, a person, a nation leader, um, a group of people. So I want you to pray, not one line, not two lines, but at least for the length of this worship song. Pray for those who have to give everything to gain the one. Jesus, we pray for those that are new to Christ and are opening up their hearts to him. I pray that they would know forgiveness right now as they're reaching out to you in their hearts, saying, God, can you love me? God, can you forgive me? May they hear in their hearts the response is yes, that you love us and you forgive us and you redeem us and you call us your own. And now, God, we turn our hearts to those closed countries. We turn our hearts to world leaders that have positioned themselves in a place of deity as opposed to honoring you, that have sealed their country from the gospel, trying to protect as, as the men surrounding Stephen tried to do. They try to close out the sound of the gospel. They try to raise their voices. But Father God, we ask that you, dear God, would reach them. And God, as we continue to pray and continue to worship, God, we pray that your spirit would go forth and that they would be sustained, that they would know your deliverance through our prayers and through your spirit. In Jesus' name.